This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing. Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Jackie. Wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Your suffering will be legendary even in hell. <laughs> It's alive, it's alive, it's alive. They all flow down here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, you're doomed. On our show tonight, Old Not Obsolete, we will showcase movies on retro or vintage formats, including VHS, Laserdisc, and even Betamax. Yes, you heard that correctly. Here at Cinema Degeneration, we love movies in all formats and configurations. Let the pops, scratches, and imperfections in our films bring you back to a nostalgic time. Lock your doors, but you can't lock the madman out of your mind. Alright folks, thanks for joining us. This is Cinema Degeneration, and this is our new segment, Old Not Obsolete, where we showcase different films uh, on forgotten formats, but not forgotten by us. These formats can include uh, beta, CEDs, laser discs, VHS, but probably not HD DVDs. We'll probably not do those. But uh, I am your host. Uh, my name is Cameron Scott. I'm a horror fan. First and foremost, but I'm also a writer, producer, film director, and joining with me uh, for my first episode, episode 001, is my good friend, Scott Tepperman. Hello, hello. And Scott, what, what are your, uh, uh, your, what do we call it, uh, your credentials? Um, well, I kind of like you, writer, director, producer, co-owner of a film production company, Los Bastards Productions, which you've been uh, honored to have you on board our productions with us um and basically yeah, and a couple of them yeah and a couple more to come so we'll, we'll be doing that um but a uh, a lifelong horror fan and uh you know there, there's a lot of horror fans that from the old school that just hate everything that comes out nowadays or you <laughs> have film you have uh, a lot of film fans that horror film fans that if anything came out before 2004 they have no idea it even existed um, I think you and I fall into the category of the fact that um, we appreciate films, not all of them, but we appreciate films from all years, all um, generations and all decades. Um, and it's pretty cool to to approach watching a film with liking today's films and having a sensibility of uh, 2020 
but still approaching films back from the 60s, 50s, even earlier than that sometimes. And uh, well, still, you know, I mean, one of one of my favorites is still uh, White Zombie. Exactly. You know, exactly. They're, they're, you know what I mean? Uh, like a little yeah. bit of everything. Yep. Exactly. And that brings us to one of our classics. Uh, this is our first film. We're tackling a big one here. We're starting. Uh, we're we're doing Maniac, William Lustig's slasher hit. Uh, it was more or less a cult hit as it was very controversial when it was released in 1980. I mean, let's face it, this movie is a classic for many reasons, but first and foremost, it's got to be Joe Spinell as Frank Zito. He, yeah, Joe, Joe Spinell, he, the, you know, for anyone to be that um, established as an actor and that um, talented... And you know he had a lot of supporting roles, even in, in the Rocky films. You know, he, you know he was even in, in those, um, the earlier ones. And well, to... he can boast that his first role was a, a bit part, but his first role was in the freaking Godfather. Godfather, I know. And and you know he didn't think it was beneath him at all to do uh, a film of this uh, ilk. In fact, he he was viewing Maniac as his uh, as his psycho. And that's what he wanted, and that's what I think Lustig wanted, and uh, I think they succeeded. I mean, it's for the name is not too far off either, but um, no, no, it's not. It's unforgettable. It's it's an amazing movie. Well, I think Lustig had described it as it was Rocky, but in the vein of Psycho, and that's what it was for <laughs> Spinell. You there know, you I mean, let let let's. Fe- Face it, Spinell was a great actor, a very charismatic mm-hmm. guy. He had a lot of presence, but, you know, he had the kind of looks that would have, you know, secured the fact that he would be a character actor all his life, right. unfortunately. Exactly. But right. he had so much presence. I mean, you know, uh, as Frank Zito, you know, I mean, I'm not sure too many people could pull that role off. I mean, and let's, you know, we got to mention at some point, so we might as well mention it now. The movie was remade in 2012. Right. Uh, it starred Elijah Wood. Brilliantly remade, by the way. Yeah, awesomely, an awesome remake. And you and I usually talk a lot. You know me, I'm usually not a remake fan. And that you know is me, one of my favorites. I love remakes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm usually on the other end, although I'm getting more open to it as time goes on. I'm giving a lot of them a, a chance, at least, whereas right. in the past, I would not. But right. Maniac, the, in the first person kind of point of view that is always being shown in, it is. Just beautiful, but that's mm-hmm. another another movie for another time. Yeah. But again, Elijah Wood pulled that role off, but he did not try to do it as if it was Elijah Wood playing Joe Spinell or playing Frank Zito, which is why it worked because everyone would have uh, made the comparisons. And as established and as um, talented as Elijah Wood was, he just—I don't think anybody would have captured the the raw power. That Joe Spinell had in uh, in his portrayal of of uh, Frank Zito. Yeah, Frank was just uh, the Frank character is just ah, it's unique. It's disturbing. You know, it's like the movie movie itself is unique and beautiful, but very disturbing and dark. Uh, yeah. And you know, the movie you wouldn't know it, but it was shot for three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Other than the effects, I don't know where that money went. Right exactly. at the time, other than film processing, you know, and I remember seeing it. Uh, it was 1986. I rented it. You'll love this. I remember <laughs> renting it with Truth or Dare, the original <laughs> Truth or Dare. That's, those were right. the two because I I saw the, those two and like I was able to go to the video stores with my mother and rent videos. We finally had a VCR, and those were nice. like one uh, based off the cover art alone. Which is, again, one of the reasons why we're doing the show as we're doing it, Old Not Obsolete, is I'm reviewing uh, Maniac from the point of view of watching it on the Elite Entertainment Laserdisc. And you watched it on which format? The Media VHS, the Media White Stripe, which were uh, the uh, slip cases for videotapes that had the white bar on the bottom that said Media. And generally... The first release of these films had a um, silver foil inside. Uh, it was on the spine and it was on the top. And it was, you know, th- those are generally considered more sought after than the later releases because those are the very, very, very original releases. Kind of like when they, to, to, to liken it to um, Blu-rays nowadays when they put those out and they have them and they say, if you get the first 200 
they'll have a slip cover, that type of thing. Those picture it, it was it was somewhat similar uh, in, in in significance back then with the silver label foil labels on these media releases and, and some other labels as well, mostly the media ones. And uh, I am fortunate enough to have a little weathered copy of Maniac, but uh, <laughs> still cost a pretty penny, and it still is on the uh, media uh, silver. Uh, silver label, white stripe slipcase, and it's uh, it's great. Yeah, and that's what I love about the, in the format that I love and hold dear. But I collect VHS, DVD, Blu-ray. I collect it all, pretty much everything but Betamax, just because I never run into it. I I, I leave the Betamax up to you. You you're you're yeah. the Betamax collector. Well, but, I have uh, VHS. I have a, have have, have uh, about two dozen betas, not too many, but um, at least have a player for them. <laughs> Yeah, I know. That's the hardest thing. It's like it's not even just finding uh, the the discs or the tapes themselves, but finding players at work. I was lucky to find one at Salvation Army, so lucked nice. out. Nice. But the version I watched was the the first time it was released on a when it was released on Laserdisc. It was the first time it was released digitally. It was released right. by Elite Entertainment, which specialized in doing, you know, obscure horror movies or cult hits like reanimator night of the living dead dawn of the dead day of the dead but they released this director's cut it was the first time that it was uh william lustig's original version of the film and the edit that he wanted it how he wanted it to be seen Mm -hmm. Um, he actually removed some footage uh he i think he put about 20 minutes or so or three minutes sorry 20 minutes were recut were re-edited and he actually took out the uh Carolyn Monroe date scene that that whole scene was completely dropped mm-hmm. but uh what I loved about this version was the fact that it had the maniac 2 Mr. Robbie short right. that was like a promotional film for a a pseudo spiritual sequel to right. maniac 2 I'm gonna I'm gonna assume you've seen it yeah I I um I actually have that on uh one of my discs um I I um I liked that one and I liked where they were going with it. Unfortunately, yeah, like you were saying, it actually turned into a promotional film because when you watch that footage, he clearly isn't well um, at that time. You can see he's, he just doesn't look well, but he's giving yes, it his all. Up. And the, the fact that he's, you know, you got that John Wayne Gacy feel to it. And then uh, there's some wild things like the, 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 the restaurant uh, stove kill and all that. Very reminiscent to me of just in general of sleepaway camp and stuff like oh, that. Oh, the sleepaway think, camp kill in the kitchen. Yeah, that was the first thing exactly. I was thinking. And I, I think that Mr. Robbie would have been great. I think it would have been it, – it had the feel of being more disturbing than the original Maniac. Um, but we can only – you know, we can, we can only – you know, make it up in our minds now as to how it was going to pan out at all, because uh, I had no doubt that would have been that would have been fantastic. You right. know, and it, like with the reading the letter to him, like, oh, Mr. Rob, you're the only one can help yeah. us. Is this like yeah. you're kind of rooting for this this sleazy guy to like, OK, go go and kill this motherfucker, please. Right. Exactly. But, uh, totally. you know, and that's the thing that you, I, I guess that I love about Laserdisc. It was the first time long before DVD came out where you got extras on. Right, your uh, your discs and whatnot. You know, having an extra, much lesser, just a, even a, a trailer or two, was about the most you ever saw in a VHS copy. But right, yeah. And see, the, the thing again, that <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, um, my thing is, I am always the the very uh, original purist stuff. Like I I, I saw Maniac um, on originally on the media video. And that's what I wanted. Even if certain, most cover art, and you and I have talked about this so many times, Cameron. But the reason why I'm usually drawn to VHS, there, there's many reasons, but the box art is amazing. And basically, you know, people didn't have the opportunity to advertise on internet because it did not exist. So the companies would put everything they had into these into these covers to catch the eye of people that were just walk by and see them on a video store shelf and pick it up. And they were in competition with every other title there as well. So some of them uh, resorted to these big boxes, which literally were big boxes. They took up, you know, twice the size of a regular slipcase. Right, um, they took up twice as much uh, space. <laughs> they really were, and they were eye-catching, and they were. A lot of them had 
they promised stuff that never was delivered in the film or they had people on it that weren't even in a movie or scenes described or shown that weren't even in a movie. It's like or the artwork know. was so wildly off that it was never showing anything that happened in the film whatsoever. Yeah, and exactly. But, you know, if you, if you like I remember when I first saw Maniac, it was probably around when <clears throat> excuse me, it was probably around when you saw it. I think it must have been well, maybe a five. 8485 right around there. Yeah, it was roundabouts that time for me. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I remember renting not this exact tape, but the, the very similar copy. It was a media white stripe maniac because the cover was interesting to me. And then the back, which I sent you some photos, so I don't know if they'll be up at all, but people can see them. But the oh. back, it just had these weird little, very low budget, strange teases of um, madness on them and i was always wondering what the hell this was about and it was just a little blurb on the back that didn't really describe much just enough to keep it interesting and that that really um fueled my interest to pick it up so one of the i think one of the first things i rented when i actually got my first vcr which i think it was um 12 or 13 when i got it so it must have been 85 86 right around there um I picked up Maniac and I picked up Night of the Living Dead on a media white stripe, which was the purple cover with the, uh, the you know, the, again, the white stripe on the bottom and then the text yeah, chainsaw mask. And then text chainsaw massacre on, uh, on media as well. And um, all these jumped out to me. And this is the way I, I remember seeing these films. You know, I, th I think the, the bonus features are to me. If, if I have a movie and this is not being cheap, but if I have a movie on VHS and they come out with a, a DVD that makes sense to upgrade because it's a different format to me, right? Um, and I've been talking about laser discs here because I do have laser discs, I don't have nearly as many as you have, but you know, I have a working player and I have a, a working CED player, and I have about 40 of those, so I don't have a ton, but I have some. But, um, but I still, think that's a pretty decent uh, collection these days for a CD, CEDs, yeah, yeah, and there's some good ones, you know, but um, I think moving from one type of one physical format to a different one makes sense even if and i got a lot of dvds i bought into that i'm like oh that's cool whatever um but moving from dvd to blu-ray to me never made sense because it's essentially the same format it's still a disc most most dvd players up convert anyway <laughs> um and make it you know enhance the picture um, I never saw the, the, the value in that. And then a lot of the bonus features aside from, for me, aside from an occasional trailer or some long excised footage that has somehow been unearthed and, and you know, mm -hmm. reincorporated into the film or something, which is very, um, intriguing to me. Or then aside from the occasional really cool Blu-ray box set or something or collector set, I, I just shy away from them. I'm not really interested in those because to me, like when you're talking about Maniac, I have no doubt it looks amazing on Laserdisc because it looks great on DVD. It does. It's it's widescreen. It looks whatever. But for me, when I, <clears throat> excuse me, when I originally watched Maniac, and again, I grew up in that time and I grew up in that place. So it's a very dark, disturbing, effectively raw and brutal portrayal of New York City. And I love that, you know, like, yeah. Misfort and to make that prettier and somewhere in more higher definition is, is almost sacrilege. It, it, it kind of is because it, um, there's there's nobody out there, myself included, people you like records, you play a lot of vinyl, right? Obviously, vinyl sounds better than CDs because it's more natural. So. It's deeper. It's not as metallic. It's not. It just has a richer, deeper sound everyone will say everybody agrees with that nobody vhs collectors again like myself included you cannot argue that vhs looks better than dvd or blu-ray or laserdisc it does not but it complements a lot of films better to me maniac plays better as a grungy washed out um pan scan pan and scanned you know image where it's you know it's like face on a screen a face on a screen a face on a screen because to me that's more claustrophobic that's more trapping that's more effective to me Excuse to me. me a film plays better that way and, and i grew up watching films that way and you know 
I just I have the text chainsaw massacre on numerous formats and numerous high end formats. I can tell you that the the raw power plays much more effective on a videotape. Night of Living Dead plays better, even if it's harder to see. It plays better as a washed out, grainy, dark, disturbingly um, atmospheric videotape oh, than it a feels pristine, pristine version of Blu-ray. It just does, it, in my opinion. It feels dirtier. It feels more raw and more visceral, more like something maybe that you shouldn't be watching. Like right. you're getting something like, you know, not not to say it feels like a snuff film or as dirty or as nasty as that. Popped it in there to refresh myself again. I know the movie, but I just wanted to make sure I was not missing any small little subtle details for our little, you know, segment today. So I watched Maniac yeah. through on VHS again. Looked great. And then um, I popped in my DVD of it and uh, spot checked it in different areas and just checked certain things. And it looks better, but it, it it's robbed of something. And and like I said, like you were saying earlier, it it had a especially that kind of content for that film. It has a snuff like feel. It has a yes. It's not, but it has almost like a bootlegged uh, underground. Like you're a fly on the wall. Like you mentioned, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's a yeah. lot like that, where it doesn't feel so much, you know, quite maybe like it's a documentary, but you feel like you're you're a fly on the wall. Right. And and to me, that that brings me into it more, you know, and, and not even with a movie like this, but there's some other movies where very, very um, and we're talking about Maniacs, I'm going to stay on that, but there are other films that when you clean them up so much, you kill a lot of the magic. You can see wires, you can see uh, makeup not blended right, you can see other things that you wouldn't normally have seen originally with the VHS tapes. Some of the old VHS right. tapes also, they're they're um, unmatted, so you can see the boom mic dropping into shot. You don't necessarily see that on a regular cut, but some of them have no right. – uh, That's the, the beauty of pan and scan. <clears throat> right, and, and, and so it's just, it, it's just crazy to see some of these things, and, and you just really experience it as nice as these other formats can look. And I'm not saying they don't. They certainly do. But I think certain a lot of movies, especially in the genre that we love, benefit highly from a, a low fidelity, <laughs> a lower end format. I just think that they do. They benefit I, from I, the lo-fi. That for the day I die. What's that? I said they benefit from the lo-fi. They really do. They really do. And getting away for a little for a moment of one the, the format. Let's talk a bit about the film, the way it opens up. From that opening, within the first minute to two minutes, you know what kind of film you're in for. There's, you know, the 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 dual kill, you know, and for a slasher to get a dual kill, two kills right off the bat in the first couple right. of minutes is, is the great payoff, and you get right. to see some of those great <clears throat> Savini effects. This was Savini at the, to me, this was the scene, Savini at the ultimate top of his game. A lot of right. people will talk uh, Dawn of the Dead or maybe talk creep show or you know day I, I of think the dead and whatnot but i think the prowler but i think maniac is right up there with it or just about uh, if, if anything just for that head explosion alone there, yeah. that head explosion is the stuff yeah. of the leg of legends you know yeah. i mean there's that and what scanners those are the two top head explosions right. ever right when you sit down and you watch maniac and you see a scene like that head explosion um, which admittedly is the um, the apex of all the 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 heavy effect work in that movie until the end. But when you sit down and you watch that today with today's sensibilities and with you know forty years removed from when it came out, and it still looks really good. Yeah. I mean, every every effect in this movie, even in the normal cuts and gashes and stabs and impalements, they look very effective. And to me, that's that's the mark of a really true classic um, slasher film. I mean, it, it the, the the gore looks phenomenal in this movie. Yeah, I mean, Savini was uh, the, the maestro of gore, yeah. you know, yep. for so many years. You know, the man who gave birth and killed uh, Jason Voorhees. Yep, exactly. But you know, and some of the other things that that, that bear uh, mentioning is. The, the movie is, is still, for as raw and visceral as it is, is beautifully shot. There's some great aerial point of views and some slow-mo mm -hmm. shots that are just beautifully framed. You know, yeah. 
but Carolyn Monroe, speaking of beautiful, she is such a sight to behold here. She is the epitome of just style, grace, and elegance. She was so beautiful, I mean, and, and so talented. And she had such, at least at, at this time in the years leading up to it, has such a great genre career. But, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know this. Uh, I, I noticed it only several years ago when I was watching it as a rerun was that she was Mrs. Fives in The Abdominable Mr. Fives. Oh, um, yeah, both yeah. of those films, I totally for, either never noticed it before or just noticed <laughs> or remembered it for the first time. But you got yeah, that, she, Dracula. She heavy work in the genre, heavy. Like if that, that's definitely a scream queen right there. Well, I mean, she had that, Dracula A.D. 1972 yeah. uh, last horror film, also with Spinell. Star Crash, again, with Spinell. Gonna, yeah, I was actually going to bring up last horror film. To me, and I loved Maniac. I thought it was fantastic. Personally, for me, I think the last horror film had more to offer, and I think that um, I may actually have to – I would probably place that above Maniac. Um, I think Maniac oh, is more – well, I think Maniac is more effective. I think it's more disturbing, and it's more um, – I think Maniac was um, – it was disturbing, and like you said, it was filmed great, and it was – you know. All around, he was definitely mentally disturbed and, and tormented by his whole upbringing and his whole current situation. He's just a mess. But uh, uh, yeah, we got uh, we've mentioned how great Joe is as Frank. I mean, let's face right. it for those who haven't seen the film. Frank is a serial killer. He's a man that is killing women to sort of in a way keep company with his dead mother and draping their scalps over mannequins and fake heads and whatnot so a deeply disturbing uh, uh portrayal it is but you know as as good as his portrayal is and how how deep and layered his portrayal seems to be the film doesn't really seem to offer that much and i hate to say that because i love the movie i don't want to sound like i'm bashing it but it's it's fairly empty i mean it's it's pretty standard Walks around killing women and gets upset about it. Walks around killing women and he's tormented about it. Walks around. That's literally the whole thing. There's no huge, even at the end, there's really no huge concrete revelation. There's no real, to me, the the last horror film is is uh, is essentially, in my mind, Maniac 2. And I know they're, they're playing different people, but they're not. <laughs> um they kind of are playing it's a spiritual the spiritual sequel, sort it, it, of. And it, yeah, it really is. And then the one scene in Maniac, when he's dressing the mannequin, I think it's with the the redhead girl's scalp, and he's dressed up like a film producer. To me, that's almost like foreshadowing. It's like I knew they didn't know that at the time, but you know. <laughs> yeah, that may not have pl played it out that way, but that's the way that it ended up working out. Exactly, and I think those two films. Um, enhance each other and I think they should be watched together because um, I think uh, as a double feature they're phenomenal um, but like I said I, I think um, I think the last horror film plays as a more well-rounded film but I think his portrayal in Maniac is what keeps that film afloat and and the, the effects the amazing effect work from from opening to end like you said the the beach kills and then all the way up to the end which is almost reminiscent of like a day of the dead nonsense it's uh yeah. it's just craziness craziness good well, stuff there's never a moment where you feel cheated by the effects there's usually a, mo a moment in almost every slasher movie where they cheat one kill they, right. they you know they get away with not showing something in this movie it, it shows everything in in graphic yeah. detail and it, and that, it doesn't and that, let up that was one of the things that did cause such an uproar like like we were talking as well but like gene siskel not only him but there was like a you know, parent groups and women groups and everything else were, were all boycotting this film and it was just making people want to see it more and more. It, it didn't even do that great when it came out, but um, it was fueling. Oh no, it didn't. They're like, what the hell is this movie? Why is everyone talking about this? So going viral, so to speak, you know what I mean? Yeah. If, if you talk about it, people are going to want to see it. Even if you tell them this, the most horrible thing in the world, they right, want to see what... it. It's just like saying, Hey, there's a car crash up here. Don't look. Everybody rubbernecks and looks. Well, see, when when I first saw Maniac, but, when it when it when I originally rented it, and again I was pretty young, I was whatever, and I I had heard all about this movie, so I was expecting craziness and whatever, and I rented it, and the first the first time, and I I probably have seen it now over the years, literally a hundred times, but the very first oh, time, the, the very first time I saw it, 
I didn't know if I liked it or not. And and I and and I actually one of the problems I had was uh the Joe Spinell guy, the, the Joe Spinell character. I, I I thought I didn't get this guy, but I just thought he was whiny and I thought he was bad acting. And if, I, I really, really did. And uh I've I, I didn't piece it together, but I probably saw three or four films that had him in it since I saw Maniac. And I revisit revisited Maniac maybe a year or two after that. And complete opposite. I'm like, he nailed this role. He walked such a fine line between madness and murder and 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 trying to be sane and and losing his grip on reality reality. And I was almost ashamed of myself at such a young age. I was like, I can't believe that I didn't pick up what good of a performance he actually gives. I mean, he's brilliant. You get almost his... disappointed in yourself, you know, I like, oh, well, like I, I wasn't. Uh... Yeah, I thought I knew movies <laughs> and what was going on here. But it, and he's fantastic in this movie. And, and I got to say this, and I don't mean this as a slight to uh, the people of, of New York and whatnot. But in 1979, 1980, was everything just fucking skeezy in New York City? Yes. Yeah, because if you if you look at the movies, if yeah, you look at Hill Street Blues, you look at oh, man. you have no idea, man. I'm I was from Queens. <laughs> I was from Queens. I know. I, I know. I know that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and my and my and my mom worked in Manhattan, so Queens was like that all time, uh, especially where we were. And in Manhattan, it was completely like that because every time we would go into the city. We go out to eat once in a while. We go to a show or we go wherever, and it was cool stuff. But it was all, it was all like a giant red light district, like big time. And then they cleaned it up, and it's it's actually very nice now. But um, yeah, it's a, a true to its true to its um its d- depiction on film. And that's again like I, I, why uh, Miss Forty Five works for me and Driller Killer and all that stuff because. That was well, what you know, I grew up in. Movies like Casket Case, case you know, work for the Basket very same case, reason. Yep, exactly. Now, and I got to say, the one, one thing I keep thinking about while I was watching this movie, the thought that kept going through my head is I don't want to think again about how that apartment must have smelled. Like, for real. Not, <laughs> not like in the reality of the but in true reality, I don't want to think about how that apartment smelled at all. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you on that, that, that one. Was, that was the most truly terrifying part of the whole the whole film. <laughs> you know, I mean, in in a world that was all Freddie and Jason yeah. and Michael Myers, and you know, in the early '80s and whatnot. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen a, a, another chapter of the tale of Frank, whether oh, it was totally you know because I mean, yeah. obviously, I mean, we're talking about a movie that's thirty years old. Yeah. I mean, we're not spoiling anything here. Well, it is a spoiler, but if you haven't seen it by now, then you shouldn't be listening to the show. But you know, he—it's very open-ended to whether or not he's alive or dead. And well, I'm the type that always loves a good sequel. I hate a remake, but God damn it, I love a sequel. Well, you know, again, again, what they were doing with look what they were doing with Ma- Maniac Two or Mr. Robbie, whatever they're calling it or we're gonna call it. Um, I had a feeling that. And they wouldn't even have alluded to the first film. He would have just been back, and he would have just been almost the same character, but almost different. Um, and it probably wouldn't even have. They just would have known what happened in the first film, and he pretty much would have done something similar in the second one. I don't think it would have been overly connected. Um, I no. think they kind of. Ran it, I think it would have been the same thing it, like the spaghetti westerns of the sixties. Yeah, it would exactly. have been the same couple of actors, maybe you know, different names change things up, but it's still. You know, where it was, you know, three movies about a, a gunslinger in the Old West, it would have been another movie just about another psychopath in New York City. Right. And and again, it would have been, there's, I can't even think offhand now, but there's so many movies that you watch stuff and it's like, yeah, if the characters were the same names, this would be exactly the same movie. They just, some reason, didn't want to make it a sequel or didn't want to make it a direct sequel. So they had a slightly different name or something. So I think a lot of that was probably always uh, who had the rights. Yeah, the been. rights of the film, Could've but been. you never know. But you know, like even when maybe it would have been because when they did uh, Streets of Fire and then they did Road to Hell, the guy's name was uh, Cody. Um, and right, right, he was like a serial killer in the second one. In the first one, he was like a good guy named what was his name, Tom Cody or something like that. So I think it was uh, it was Tom Cody because I've seen Road to Hell and it's been a few right. years since I've seen uh, Streets Co- of Fire. And they never called him anything else but Cody. And then they had the same cast. And like, it was obvious it was the same. It was a sequel. But you know they didn't have any 
clearance or any rights for that, so they got around oh, it. No. To I got to mention the one thing I always found to be the creepiest part was when uh, Spinell is Frank just starts going, I'm just going to keep you. I'm going <laughs> to keep you. I'm just yeah. going to keep you now. It's it was such a subtle, t- subtle line. Anybody else would have just bellowed it or screamed it or whatnot. But he had such a for such a big guy, you know, and it was just such a commanding kind of presence as he had. He, he could pull out the subtleties of a character like that. Yeah, he was and again, that, And let's not forget, you know, you uh, made the analogy that that there or that, that there was almost a kind of. Uh, sleepaway camp thing going on with the maniac too, Mr. Robbie, you know, with the kill there. Think of maniac and sleepaway camp in, at the same time, because I always pe- have people, they always come up and, and say that one of the most shocking endings of any horror movie they ever seen is of course, sleepaway camp, which right. we'll talk about that in another, another, another show for another day. We'll do that show too. The, the dual, surp- the dual surprise ending of maniac Right. There's the scene in the graveyard when the, the mother comes up out of the, the ground and starts strangling Frank. And then, of course, there's the the, the official ending where all of Frank's victim, victims are coming back and just tearing them apart, just ripping right. and tearing them to pieces. I always found that ending, that dual ending like that, to be far more shocking than the Sleepaway Camp ending. And, and as far as any movie that I saw you know, as a youngster, as a young teenager... Or young adult or whatever, uh, I always found that to be much more shocking than the Sleepaway Camp. Not to this Sleepaway Camp because it's a great film in its own right, but just you always got to you got to by process of elimination, one movie is going to be your you, you know liked more than the other. And well, the the the, the thing with me with uh, one of I think the probably the greatest, and I don't think I've ever said this before. I don't think I've ever come to this revelation, but so you're getting the first one, Cam. That's pretty cool. Um, I right think on. the the probably the most effective scene I have ever seen in a horror film because I think it works on so many visceral levels for me is the uh, the whole subway stalk scene in this film. The whole scene with the girl and in in the mirror, all that. I don't want to give anything away, but that entire scene, that whole stalk scene is brilliantly shot. Very, very atmospheric. It's dripping with tension. Brilliant performances by both. Oh, so much tension. That That to me is one of the single greatest films, uh, film scenes, not even horror film scenes, probably one of the greatest scenes in film I think I've ever witnessed. I absolutely love that segment, that five-minute scene or ten minutes, whatever it is. Absolutely, it's a long scene, and really, you know, and possibly in anybody else's hands besides Lustig's, it might not have worked. Well, yeah, and it's weird because it it makes you—I don't even know if it's really POV, but the way it's shot, it puts you in his shoes, it puts you in the victim's shoes, and then puts you as an outsider watching both. I don't know how to explain that, but. The camera is everywhere you wouldn't think a camera would be, where it really makes you feel like you are completely engulfed in that scene. Mm-hmm. Is placed in so many weird spots, like you were saying, it was in, in areas that you wouldn't normally think to place a camera. No, to get that kind of no. weird point of view shot. I mean, there's a point when when I'm when I'm watching Maniac, uh, as I get into it, I, you know, I'm enjoying that movie. I like that kind of shit, you know, but. Once you get to that scene, I can't explain it. Once they enter the subway, you're not watching a movie anymore for me. You're part of the movie. You're part of everything. It's it's absolutely yes. wild. And then after the reveal by the mirror and everything else, then you're watching the movie again. And I don't know how to explain the feel of it, but there's a very interesting, distinct um, feel to that particular segment that is absolutely not segment sequence that is absolutely brilliant and i always thought um lustig was a, a fantastic director and um my very favorite movie from him is relentless personally but um that's his most uh, polished relentless to me it's his most polished film but um he shows that he can play with the big boys just by doing that scene and this is 1980 now or 19 maybe even filmed it 79 or so who knows 
Um, I think they filmed in 79. I'm not quite sure, though. So he was a youngster starting out, and he was able to capture that kind of a that kind of a feel for something. It's incredible. I guess in retrospect, I'm going to say it's obvious that we both have a lot of love for this movie. Uh, you know, there's two different ways I'm going to rate this movie. Uh, in in general, the movie for me is a nine out of ten. Is a near perfect slasher, uh, a near perfect classic '80s horror film. Great performances all around, especially by Spinell. Uh, you know, it, it's a little lacking in a few few spot spots in the the writing department and whatnot. I like kind of more colorful dialogue, so it's the only reason why I give it a nine out of ten. But as far as the release that I watched, the Elite Entertainment uh, laser disc, I give it a full ten out of ten because it's a beautifully made disc. The the cover art is great. It's everything I want. It's uh, you know, it's got a director's cut. That was never, you know, previously never released anywhere. Uh, great transfer, you know, everything overseen by Lustig has got great linear notes, trailers, television spots, dozens of them in multiple languages and formats, deleted scenes, you name it. It's, it's got all the bells and whistles, and I love it. So, what about you, Scott? What's your final well, overview? Yeah, the I, there's no doubt. I think Maniac, um, especially over the years. I've come to realize that there is quite a uh, a myriad of um, bonus content for this film, whether it be other cuts or other, you know, European trailers or you know other footage or whatever. Um, so yeah, the the discs are, are fantastic because they're they're loaded with stuff. For me, watching again, watching this film on on a tape with the type of film that it is, and it could certainly be detracting if you're trying to watch some high-end blockbuster thing you may want the full effect the higher end whatever but when you're watching a film like this the tape lends itself to perfect viewing because it offers that dark muddy uh shouldn't be watching snuff like quality to it um and the original artwork i love the original artwork on these films because when it came out it didn't know what it was you know now when you get right. newer pieces it's saying oh five stars the see the horror classic the way it was meant to see i like before it was even established as that it was original right out right, of the right. gate let's see what people think of it put it out there's no it's more genuine there's no preconceived notions on it you're putting it out it's a little synopsis for it there's a few pictures and that's what it had to go on to sell it not the title and not the reputation so i kind of appreciate that um that being said I will give Maniac uh, that that one segment is the best segment I think I've ever seen in film. That's a ten out of ten. Maniac itself, I probably would have to probably be about an eight out of ten um, because the it really is fairly you know the the performance is brilliant, the directing is brilliant. There's spots of brilliance, but the the definitely the it, it's a pretty empty affair overall. Um, which isn't saying anything bad. I mean, it just happens to be a little light in that area. Um, the only reason I don't yeah, give I mean, it you still get you still give it an eight. So, I mean, you're just not well, exactly the, the, like you're tearing it down. Yeah, no, no, not at all. And the only reason I don't give it a little bit higher is because personally, I, I and this could be sacrilegious, but I do think the sequel, not sequel, the remake is actually a better film. Um, I think it's it's not as effective. It's not as doesn't have that grin, gritty, grimy, grungy, whatever. But it does capture a madness of someone descending very, very well. I think it's it's written better. I think there's more to it. Um, and it's not talking about production values because I, I can see a movie from the 80s made on a $10,000 budget. And I can see a movie made on a, you know, $5 billion horror film backed by some of the big yeah, studios some Blumhouse and, release that's got 20 million dollars right and it sucks so that's not that's my, my issue just thinking that the the remake to me i think the original should have been as as layered as the remake if that makes sense um so yeah. it, it, and maybe that's not fair to to have the other film suffer as a result but i'm still giving it an eight and a solid eight and a solid recommendation i'm just saying that the the, the remake out there is is very very good um, oh, yeah, but yeah, the remake is awesome, and you won't hear me say that often. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think that about sums it up for this 
episode. I think next time maybe we ought to do something a little different. Have you review a laser disc and I'll review a VHS. What do you think? Mm, that would be interesting. Because uh, I already got one uh, one picked out. I was going to review uh, Fulci Zombie on VHS since that's the one big bad boy that I uh, picked up from you last year. Yeah, but I don't so. have it on laser disc. <laughs> oh well, damn, well then exactly. you got to rectify that. I gave you my VHS. I'll tell you what, that'll be that'll that'll be the long-awaited sequel. We'll have to do some uh, <laughs> some uh, spiritual sequels until then. Yeah, we'll we'll figure something out. We'll do some other ones. Hey, bet- between uh, our two collections, we're bound to find find ones that we have that both match. And if not, hey, we'll do a dual review next time. Exactly. All right. Well, folks, I am Cameron Scott, and this is my co-host, Scott Temperman, and you have been listening to Cinema Degeneration Power Hour, and this has been Old, Not Obsolete. And now the latest breaking eyewitness news with Jerry Dumphy, Christine Lund, Ed Arnold for Ted Dawson with sports, Johnny Mountain with the weather, and the eyewitness news team. Horror movie opened tonight in Hollywood officially and all over the Los Angeles area. There's a lot of controversy over this one, which is why we're paying attention to it. Feminists in particular have said that this is a film that promotes harm to women. Anne Martin has more on it right now. Anne. Christine, the movie is Maniac, and the billboards themselves are pretty gruesome. Moviegoers tonight told me the plot is, a man who hated his mother goes out and kills women. Besides the billboard, the picture is also advertising as the movie the L.A. Times wouldn't run ads for. Now President Eleanor Smeal had this reaction to the billboard. All I can say is, is that when you talk about violence towards women and brutality, this just typifies it, and I think that it is uh, shocking, and it contributes to the injury of women. Tonight, I asked moviegoers who had just seen the film if they thought it was potentially injurious to women. Yeah, I'm going to be scared to walk out at night, really, now. Do you think it was unfair to women? Yeah, I did. How about you? What did you think of it? I think it was a sick movie. It was where they, it was kind of stupid, you know, but it wasn't as scary as I planned it to be, like other movies I've seen, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something like that. Would you think that a movie like that would, uh, would inspire violence toward women? Yeah, I think some guys might have ideas uh, watching this, you know, if they're sick-minded coming in here, you never know. Two young men who were about to see Maniac said movies are fiction. It's real life that's scary. It bothers you to see some guy like Bittaker, for instance, who's convicted of doing torture and murder on young girls, but it doesn't bother you to see them. Well, no, not really, because the movie, well, it's just a movie. It's fiction, but uh, in Bittaker's case, that's true. It freaks me out a little. Uh, this doesn't give you nightmares? No, not if you were a young woman, do you think it might? Yeah, definitely. I wouldn't be seen if I was a young woman. So far, the movie management there told me the movie is doing a fair business. This was its first day. This is Metro News with Charles Rowe, Gil Stratton, and the entire Metro News team. Into another controversy tonight, this time the advertising for a newly released horror film. And as Channel 11's Judy Bloom reports, the battleground is a billboard. This visually violent and sexually explicit poster for a new movie called Maniac is arousing a great deal of anger within the women's community in Los Angeles. They say that posters like this one contribute to violence against women. This is not, unfortunately, terribly unusual. This is violence. This is brutality. This is something that we subjugate people to almost daily. When one of the offensive billboards for the movie appeared on the property of the R&B Custom Shop in West Hollywood, the owner became so infuriated, she decided to take matters into her own hands. With the help of her colleagues, white paint and a roller, this mother of two young children made the maniac advertisement disappear. I'm sitting in my office all day long and it just faces me, stares at me into the wind and I just can't take it. I think it's sick, it's perverted and I just want to stop things like that. I think that was absolutely the thing to do. Because what children see is what they think about. What they think about is what they do. I think it's ugly. I think it, uh, it forces violence. Both the billboard and the movie companies were unavailable for comment. From West Hollywood, this is Judy Bloom.
Good evening again, everyone. The hounds of censorship are off and running again, and this time the target is those blood and guts movies that count on screens to bring in dollars. This past weekend, three Los Angeles television stations refused to carry commercials for Brian De Palma's Dress to Kill, except during restricted time periods. The so-called offensive scenes showed Michael Caine dressed as a woman about to attack Angie Dickinson with a razor. But what is causing an even greater furor is the Los Angeles Times' refusal to carry any advertising for a film called Maniac. The Times states, and we quote, the film has no socially redeeming value whatsoever, and it is our duty to the community we serve not to encourage even indirectly such violence, end quote. This response has Maniac director William Lustig furious. He calls it censorship and a sound support within the community from actors Roy Scheider and Stacey Keach, producer Bruce Gilbert of 9 to 5, and director William Friedkin of The Exorcist. They all sent telegrams to the Times protesting its action. Yet this kind of censorship seems almost inevitable considering the flow of blood and guts films, which has glutted the marketplace in recent years. While it is possible to argue the artistic merit of films such as Psycho and The Exorcist, a new breed of shriek merchants has exploited the once honorable genre of the terror film. Most followers of this genre point to a 1978 film called Halloween as the vehicle which opened the bloody floodgates at the box office. This critically acclaimed movie directed by John Carpenter grossed more than $50 million since its release. But unfortunately, it has spawned a host of imitations bearing such gruesome titles as Blood Beach and My Bloody Valentine. And now virtually not a week goes by without another scare movie making its appearance. Such popularity raises one important question. What is the appeal of these films? Studies have shown that the primary audience for these movies are thrill-seeking teenagers and minority groups. Maniac director Bill Lustig says white middle-class America is staying home from theaters except for special events like The Empire Strikes Back and is instead watching movies on cable TV leaving the local theaters to blacks, Latinos, and other minorities without the financial resources to tap into the home video market. Why do horror films appeal to minority groups? Well, Lustig says it's because the movies rely heavily on visual impact and therefore language is not a problem. But many parents and civic groups see these films in a more sinister light, calling them the new pornography. And certainly films with exploitative titles like blood-sucking freaks are hard to defend, although in most cases the titles are more lurid than the movies themselves. However, the fascination with freakiness may be fading. At a recent preview of Friday the 13th, Part 2, at a Hollywood Boulevard theater, the audience openly booed this particular coming attraction. This could mean the issue of censorship will take care of itself in a free marketplace where the audience chooses what it wants to see and therefore, in its own way, dictates what gets made. This is certainly preferable to local, state, or federal censorship, which a very vocal portion of this country is now supporting.